0: Hey, Eric Olson here. Thanks for joining me for episode 20 of the Science Centric Podcast. If you're a regular listener, you may have noticed I haven't posted new episodes in the last couple of months. There were a number of reasons for this, but the main one is that due to COVID, I'm balancing work and family responsibilities without the benefit of school or daycare for my kids. Fortunately, my family has adapted to this new reality and I'm able to devote more time and energy to labors of love like this podcast. In fact, I'm hoping to post new episodes weekly going forward. So please stay tuned to this space every Wednesday in this episode we're speaking to award-winning french journalist and documentary filmmaker guillaume patrone for the last decade or so guillaume has been following the global trade in rare earth metals there are around 30 of these metals and they can be found in virtually all of our electronic devices and in green technologies like solar panels and electric cars unfortunately mining these materials comes with heavy environmental and social costs mining generates massive amounts of polluted wastewater which left untreated, poisons crops, and makes people sick. Guillaume documents these issues in his 2018 book, Rare Metals War, which has recently been translated into English. I spoke to Guillaume about why rare earth metals are so important for consumer electronics, why the U.S. outsourced the mining of these metals mostly to China, and how companies like Apple and Tesla can make their products, which rely heavily on rare earth metals, more environmentally friendly. But before we dive in, a quick reminder that we need your support to keep this podcast going. If you find value in interviews with leading scientists, journalists, and authors, consider becoming a member on Patreon. For a small monthly fee, members get benefits like early access to new episodes and their names mentioned in the show credits. Head over to sciencecentric.com support for more info. Guillaume welcome to the podcast so great to speak with you really honored to have you here you're uh an award-winning journalist um you've written uh, a book this is your first book or
1: this is my first book yes. first
0: book you you've produced documentaries um for for the leading french television uh station in uh or, or channel in 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 france i believe um yeah but you you started out as a as a lawyer, uh, training in law. So so how did you how did you go f- uh, transition from law into uh, journalism? Sure, I finished my law studies in D.C. at
1: Georgetown University, and I always wanted to become a journalist. I wanted to be a traveler. And uh, after my studies, it was absolutely clear that I would uh, change path and I would move towards being a reporter. I had the chance to do an internship at national geographic in dc right after these uh, studies at in in washington dc and uh, on and on i could progressively uh, you know uh, work on reporting stories around the world i was funding my first reports on my own because nobody would send me nobody would know me and uh, as i started to get more uh, more experienced first the first uh, media or uh, press print media in France started to send me everywhere I wanted actually and then I started to turn my print IDs into uh, TV IDs for French and European TV channels and after 12 certain years doing this job I've been reporting in many countries many continents and with a strong interest in resources I love to talk about resource because people might think that you know it's very Uh, far away to talk about, uh, you know, story at the other end of the world, why are they uh, concerned by the story, but they are concerned because uh, when I talk about resources, I talk about the resources that they uh, use every day, that they uh, eat or that they consume every day in their mobile phones, in their their, uh, uh, plates, Um, so suddenly people become interested because they realize that actually what you're talking about, people or situation at the other end of the world, has an impact on the way you live, and the way you live has an impact on them. And so you create a link, you make a link between uh, two places which are very far, and suddenly so you make them uh, feel uh, connected.
0: Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it seems like uh, that's really important, that that's a really important thing, and mm-hmm. to, to know where things came from and it seems like we really just don't have enough information uh about where things came from or i guess the question would be do we do consumers care where things come from or is it just that they don't have the information do you have any sense of that
1: (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I would say both. I mean, I would say this, it's a twofold uh, answer. Uh, you know, we are in an age of globalization where, uh, you know, a supply chain for any product is completely... Uh, uh, diversified A single product may have been uh, manufactured in dozens of different places in the world so it's very hard to, to trace back to where which components uh, where it comes from where each component comes from and I think also people don't really care I mean what they care about so consumers they care to to buy a, a less expensive product all they want to have is just more buying power but they have lost the buying mm. knowledge
0: So do you do you see your role as a as a journalist to make people aware of those connections between the their purchases and where the starting materials came from?
1: very much i think that's my role my little role as, as a journalist i can humbly you know help making people better understand uh, you know uh, uh, that they live in a connected world and that whatever consumption act uh, they may have it will have an impact somewhere it will leave a trace somewhere and we as journalists shouldn't shy away from a role as educators we are educators whether we want it or not and i think i i have to to, 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 to help educate people with what I know from the field because I report from the field, and I try to speak to people's cleverness. Everyone's clever, and we, we need to speak to what's most clever in people's mind, and that's what we try to do together now.
0: Yeah, so the, the, the subject of your book uh, is, the title of the book is Raw Metals War, um, rare
1: metals war.
0: Rare, rare, me- <laughs> rare metals war. <laughs> Sorry, um, and it's all about. Uh, it's really, I think, what brings it would bring it home to people is it's about the the things that that are in the thing in the devices that we carry around with us every day, sure. which is phones sure. and, and other electronics. Yeah. Um, and um, how did you get interested in in rare metals and? Um, and um, writing this I, book. Yeah, that started in 2009,
1: was more than 10 years ago. I read an article about this rare strategic metals, strategic, because they are strategic for economies. And I was completely fascinated by the story of these rare metals, which I had never heard about. Uh, we talk about about 30 metals. Uh, which are called rare because they are very uh, much more rare than base and abundant metals in the Earth's crust. In the Earth's crust, you've got like, you know, the base metals such as iron, copper, zinc, but you find in the mine metals which are 2,000, 3,000 times more rare. And this is what we call rare metals. They're not very rare because we find them everywhere on Earth, but in a mine, if you want to dig into a mine, you might find very few of these metals because their concentration in the earth's crust is, is very low. So we talk about uh, gallium, indium, antimony, rare earth, which is a specific class of, of uh, rare metals. We talk about tungsten, cobalt, um, graphite, which is a very important mineral. And I discovered this absolutely fascinating world of this uh, of rare metals and also all the ecological economic and geopolitical implications of uh, you know sourcing them and securing their access and i've never you know um, stopped
0: digging into the story uh, ever <laughs> since that's a that's a great uh, a line there uh, literally digging um yeah literally <laughs> so um so these metals are, you know, uh, pretty much everywhere, right? And they also show up in, I mean, in in our technology, and they also show up in so-called green technologies like solar panels and and other devices like that as well. You you find these rare metals everywhere in digital technologies.
1: Uh, All your daily life is actually completely, uh, you know, dependent upon these resources, which you have no idea about your phone, as you showed, as you as you explained, and also green technologies, Uh, not every green technology, because you can discuss, you know, any kind of green technology, but To make it simple, there is no green energy transition without these rare metals because they have such amazing chemical and physical properties that actually they are very much researched for these properties by the green tech industry, Uh, especially electric vehicles. You need uh, a lot of rare metals, rare and non-rare, but rare metals for making the batteries and for making the engine of the electric vehicles. And suddenly I started to touch a paradox, which is, but how is it, that you have to dig these resources in environmentally um, um, uh, difficult conditions for making a product that at the end is marketed as being a green product and i started to touch a paradox here and this is where my investigation started i wanted to go on the field especially in china which is one of the biggest producers of these rare metals to see the Difference between what we say about these green technologies and how um, environmentally impactful these technologies can be when you manufacture them, including in the mining process.
0: Yeah, I mean that that really kind of sucks when you think about it, right? Because he- here we have you know technologies like solar panels that that don't produce carbon emissions at least you know uh, in their day-to-day use, and you think, oh, this would be great. This would be an alternative. We don't we don't we're not going to pollute doing this but then we have to 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 create them we have to we have to you know disturb the environment in such a terrible way by by mining these metals um it's t- it sucks right like there's no it feels like it feels like there's no way to win this um that, that, sort of energy problem that we have that we we, ha- we need way more energy and there's no clean way to get it so what do you think about that's that? that's exactly that's precisely my point, Uh, well first to say
1: uh, green um, solar panels uh, may feature uh, rare metals such as gallium and indium. Uh, um, Solar panels are made of uh, silicium metal which is not very rare uh, but it's called a critical mineral, uh, critical metal, by the, UN, it's by, by the United States Geological Survey, because there might be supply shortages, because there are tensions between the supply and the demand. So in my definition of rare, I include silicium metal as being an industrially rare metal, not a geologically, but industrially rare metal. Mm-hmm. But yes, I mean, these, uh, these metals, all these metals are mining in terrible conditions. And my first reaction when I saw that was exactly yours. How is that that i had never heard about this How yeah. is that that you replace? i mean i want this green energy transition for sure uh, you know eric yeah. I, I don't want to keep uh, to stay <laughs> uh, you know uh, dependent on oil and coal we know the impact of, of these resources on climate change so we need to change and we need to find new technologies but every every time there is human impact There is a pollution. The thing with these green technologies is that the pollution is concentrated during the manufacturing process Mm -hmm. and might also uh, happen during the recycling process. Assuming that we can recycle these technologies, that is another issue. But these technologies don't pollute when you use it. When I use it, I may uh, see a solar panel produce energy, same for wind turbine. I may, uh, you know, uh, move myself in an electric car and it's not going to emit any CO2 emissions. So I'm going to say to myself, that's wonderful. This is a zero emission car because that is true. It doesn't produce CO2 during the the using phase. But what we don't see is what is the pollution and the CO2 emissions being actually uh, uh, produced during the manufacturing phase and the end of life phase. But, you know, these manufacturing processes don't happen in europe and the united states they happen somewhere in the world in mining countries uh, developing countries poor countries where nobody goes and we don't see that pollution because we have relocated pollution which has become invisible and we pretend to be clean but in fact we are not
0: yeah well i think i think a lot of people are aware of the electronic waste issue, at least in the United States, that's, you know, people are bringing their at least bringing their electronics to recycling facilities and not just throwing them into landfills. Uh, But as you mentioned in the book, even that has problems in reclaiming these rare earth metals from, uh, you know, electronic devices sure
1: uh, let me tell you Eric and also for the people um, listening mm-hmm. to us uh, yeah. rare earths are necessary for phones and more specifically for the vibration of the phone so when your phone rings yeah. it might vibrate and it's because there is a magnet which is made of a rare earth whose name is neodymium and this magnet made of neodymium uh, actually um, enables enables your, your phone to to vibrate so that that has a very you know uh, everyday yeah. impact <laughs> on your everyday life uh, why well, do you well, need it- yeah
0: S- sorry and you mentioned wind t- wind turbines you mentioned yeah. electric cars I mean all of those use magnets right uh, in um, some fashion a- and uh, that, uh, yeah
1: so, so yeah the biggest wind turbines uh, use uh, rare earth magnets up to one ton of uh, neodymium for uh, um, the magnet of the offshore wind turbine and also most of the electric cars today might not work if the engine was not made of a magnet of neodymium, and you need four. Um, I mean, on average, four kg of neodymium yeah. for an electric car.
0: Yeah. So, so are a lot of the. Is, so, there, is the reason that we need these rare earth metals is it often because we need them because of their magnetic properties? It is exactly because okay. there are magnetic properties. and yeah. when the, and these
1: magnetic properties enables actually the uh, the, um, the, the magnet to to move itself, and it creates movement, and that's how we move today. I mean, that's that is what tra- green energy transition is all about. It's how to create new movements without having to put oil in the in the in the car. and we replace oil with these magnets which create movement, and then we can move ourselves without emitting any
0: c o two. Okay. And with with uh, thinking about, you know, what I remember from physics class to to get magnets to move, we have to apply some kind of electric electricity to them, correct? electric field to them
1: exactly yeah it's it's exactly the point i try to explain that in the book Uh, you need electricity that will enable the magnet to actually uh, move itself um, and then that will create the movement that's right so you need electricity uh, for for this and this is the reason why you need an electric uh, battery for the electric car, uh-huh. uh, this is why uh, in a Tesla, for example, or any other electric car, the main component of the car, which is very heavy by the way, can very can be very heavy. Uh, the main component is the electric car, uh, is the electric battery. Sorry, and this is where the electricity will be stored, and this electricity will be used for moving the engine, moving the magnets in the engine.
0: Ah, oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, oh.
1: sorry. Th- <laughs> there is some. Uh, there is a police car. but he's going to move okay no problem
0: no problem it's that's city life for you um yeah there's always always some kind of something going on um so yeah i mean i think that's really interesting i don't think that people when they think about their electronic devices we don't think about magnets that's not the first thing that comes to mind um i think people think about computer chips and things like that but but I guess um, even that, those use magnets in some fashion, yeah?
1: Sure. Um, you mentioned the, 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 the phones and the phones use magnets, as you said. And just a precision, the green technology revolution cannot come without uh, digital technologies mm-hmm. because our electricity energy systems are getting extremely complex. Uh, you have more electricity input from a a larger variety variety of resources on the one hand and on the other hand of the electric grid you have a wider use of more diverse type of of, of goods that can be electronics or that can be electric cars and whatever kind of things so if you want to to manage this complexity in the electric grid, you need digital technologies, you need algorithms mm-hmm. in order to actually make sure that the right amount of electricity is put into the electric grid for the exact right uh, amount of use and that there is no waste in the meantime. So digital technologies are necessary. And your phone is necessary because tomorrow, you will create your own electricity, you will have a panel a solar panels on the top of your roof, you will create your own electricity for your own house. Yeah. But actually, maybe you want to sell or to give this electricity that you produce for yourself to your neighbor, and yeah. you're going to share this electricity, with your mobile phone. So you need rare metals for the green uh, technologies and you need rare metals for the digital technologies that will actually uh, ameliorate, that will make these green technologies bigger. So this is a twofold revolution, green plus digital, which come hand to hand to make the world more, at least that's what I I heard, that's what I've been told, more sustainable. But these (laughs) two technologies use this freaking Polluting resources,
0: right? So, so it's kind of a it's kind of a two pronged thing, right? Because we, on one hand, we we need electricity, so that electricity is not always coming from a sustainable place, and then the the platform, the the digital devices, or solar panels, or whatever, those are also not coming from a sustainable source. Um, so, so you need you you need that's a paradox, but, Eric. Uh, but you but need, uh yeah, yeah, go ahead. But my question is, do did, yeah. Despite the fact that those are those are both um, kind of have a net negative effect, do do we still come out ahead in terms of versus you know just burning coal or burning gas or other fossil fuels? Do do is the carbon trade off there actually still better? I think the carbon trade off is still
1: better. But not as good as what you, mm-hmm. what you might think. Uh, the carbon trader might be better because if you compare the if you make a full cycle analysis uh, of uh, an an oil car for example, comparing to an electric car. So if you compare how much an electric car will pollute comparing to uh, the the oil car during all its life, uh, you might say at the end of the process uh, that's maybe better to to move with an electric car. Uh, so that that is a very precise example of, uh, you know, showing that an electric car, after hundreds of thousands of kilometers or, or miles, will actually emit less CO2 during its, its life. The thing is, uh, we need to figure out where the electricity comes from at the recharge uh, of the electric car. Yeah, because if you know, we are in the United States in areas or states of the United States where there is uh, uh, nuclear electricity, well, the electricity which is produced is a very low carbon electricity. But if we come uh, if we live in other places in, uh, in the United States or in the world, where the electric mix is mostly made of coal, well, we will need to 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 burn coal to make electricity that will actually end up in the car so your car will actually move itself your electric car will move itself thanks to coal. and if you make a full cycle analysis of a car which just runs on coal on electricity made of coal well if you compare with uh, with a with an old car at the end of the life of these cars i'm not sure you see the you see the point, especially in China, where the electric mix is mostly made of coal and oil. So you need to look locations by locations, countries by country. But you shouldn't forget one thing, Eric. Yeah. Forty percent mm-hmm. of the world electric mix today is made of coal. Yeah. That is the first source of electricity production. So the cars, the electric cars, running today and which will run for the next. 10 or 20 years will be mostly running on coal and I'm not sure that's going to make that's going to save our planet I'm not sure these green technologies we call an electric car yeah. will help save the planet Yeah.
0: Do you think though that at some point things both in terms of energy use and also harvesting the, the these minerals will become more efficient to the point that maybe the, the trade-off is better uh, mm-hmm. using green technologies and digital technologies versus you know traditional uh, methods? Is that possible sure. in the future?
1: It is very possible, Rick, and yeah. I think it's already going on. And we have to believe in science. Uh, yeah. my, 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 my speech is twofold. We shouldn't believe only in science. We shouldn't believe that technology will be the only solution that will save us and that we save the planet. I don't believe in this. but. Mm-hmm. On the other hand science enables us to make a lot of progresses and when you look at the progresses in terms of mining uh, mining techniques refining techniques of these metals also in terms of recycling of these metals uh, after you know after the the end of life of a car or any other green technology well you see that we are doing progresses that you know make people and myself a bit hopeful. It will progress and that will suddenly make these green technologies less polluting tomorrow than what it does today. The question, Eric, is when when is the future? The future, when is this? What date? Because people keep telling me, why do you talk to me about these technologies today? Because the technological progresses will be such that in 20 years, in 30 years, and in the future, uh, this problem won't exist. And I reply to the to these people, when do you date precisely this moment, and nobody knows, nobody has a single idea is this in 2030, 2040. This is very difficult to know when actually these green technologies, which will, which will be much better than what they are today. So we are today in this present situation, where uh, we have to face a dire reality um uh, storing electricity in electric batteries is, ex- is extremely difficult we need uh rare metals for 25 percent of wind turbines in the world and we need uh, and we and and and, and, it, and it pollutes because most of these pro- metals are coming from china where the environmental regulations are not as they are in as, as in the west and this is what things how things happen right now today as i speak to you and we must face this reality as it is today right right that makes sense
0: yeah i mean i feel like that's that's almost a philosophical debate because Mm -hmm. there's definitely a group uh that places a lot of faith in technology to sort of get us out of problems that technology has created. <laughs> and, and it creates new problems. <laughs> and it creates new problems. <laughs> so but that's I, I feel like it's almost almost a philosophical position uh or something. Um but uh you know yeah. and then and then the the flip side of it is well we need to you know be more realistic about what's happening now and we need to you know reduce our resource use and you know reduce, reuse, recycle kind of mentality. I, I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I think we need to be doing both, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, doing things to, to curb our consumption. And then also, you know, looking at technologies uh, in the you know, future. I think a lot of people see it that way. Um, but I'm not I don't have complete faith that just technology is going to magically get us out of these sort of energy binds that we find ourselves in.
1: Mm. Uh, I, I tend to be on the same page um, Eric, I tend to, to believe the same thing um, uh, we, we might we, we want to believe in technology technology uh, is getting so fast today that it completely changes the world around us um, and uh, on the other hand uh, if we just believe that uh, you know, by putting a solar panel on our rooftop and by uh, you know, moving ourselves with an electric car we're going to save the planet we're wrong that's my strong belief that we won't make it and the the solution is twofold yes uh, for researchers yes for funding more uh, new materials researchers new recycling methods new uh, refining processes and also uh, let's not forget this word by albert einstein we don't solve a problem with the mindset that has created this problem so the question is, how do we change this mindset as well as, as we change the technologies? And yeah. I think this is a twofold revolution, a revolution in technologies and also revolution in our minds. And the second revolution is certainly the hardest one to,
0: to achieve. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think so. I, I think also that the the way that these green technologies are being sold... Um, you know, obviously when you're trying to sell something to someone, you're not going to tell them about all the bad environmental harm, uh, that occurred in the process of making it. Um, so, you know, the you term, sell
1: technology, if you say anything like this,
0: no. And the term, you know, so people that drive, you know, electric cars in the United States, they think, oh, I'm doing the right thing because that's how it's been sold to them, that they're mm-hmm. driving an electric car and that this is the environmentally, better solution um but but to me that comes you know it's a bit like the the term that's thrown around is greenwashing um it's it's first this is business and
1: obviously yeah. you need uh, new technologies to uh, relaunch a business uh, a new world uh, with new technological application is replacing the former world and this is how business goes and it creates green jobs and it creates uh, economic growth and it creates it creates tax uh, tax payments for the state uh, so obviously uh, we need to believe in this narrative in this green narrative yeah and as you said eric this is pure <laughs> greenwashing this is a complete greenwash. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we end up relocating, outsourcing all the pollution issues relating to mining of graphite, rare earth, lithium, cobalt, gallium, whatever, at the other end of the world in Africa, Bolivia, China, but and pretending at the same time to be clean. Sorry to say this, and that's a provocative um, phrase, but this green energy transition is the biggest Greenwashing operation I've ever seen and ever heard of in the history. Yeah, because we got the world divided between those who get dirty—the Chinese, mm-hmm. the Congolese, the Bolivians—and on the other hand, those who pretend to be clean. And we all pretend to be clean. And this is just that makes the green energy transition a uh, just a huge greenwashing operation today.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all we all love getting those uh, you know new electronics in the in the sealed box and it's all clean and pretty and, you know, uh, we don't we don't want to think about where where those pieces of it came from. Um, But let me let me one thing that we haven't really talked about, um, which you outline a lot in your book is um, and I think for the audience maybe isn't aware because we haven't really discussed is, you know, what what are the impacts of this mining, uh, rare earth mining? Um, You talked about uh, uh area in china where plants won't even grow in the soil um you know maybe you could just kind of walk us through like one of those areas and and what you saw when you went there um you cover the you go into detail into this in the book and if people want to really dive into it they should definitely read the book but maybe you could just give us a little sure little taste of 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 what it's like to be in a in a mining town where they where they mine rare earth metals
1: yeah. I've been in China uh, four times during the past 10 years and most of this uh, in three times out of four I went to the mining areas and the most recent trip I've made was last year. So what, you, what we find in the book is also an update of what I saw last year, more precisely in uh, the area of Baotou, which is a city in Inner Mongolia, 800 kilometers, uh, 600 miles away from on the northwest of of Beijing mm-hmm. and uh, this is uh, the place where 75 percent of the rare earths are being uh, extracted from the ground and also refined and the refining process of these rare earths is absolutely devastating because you need a lot of water to produce to refine the rare earths and the water which is uh, you know full of heavy metals and chemicals after the refining process this water is not treated it's just rejected directly into the nature in artificial lakes where I've been uh, and people live around this place, people in villages and people who, have, who had to move from their village and who had to be relocated to uh, new cities very close to the lake these people are agricultures uh, and they talk about their uh, plants which couldn't grow anymore and they lost their jobs because they cannot grow anything. They talk about cancers. They talk about radioactivity because uh, there is radioactivity associated with uh, rare earth mining and and refining. And um, this is what I saw on the field. This is what I discussed with. I tried several times to escape the Chinese police, which was not very keen to have me reporting on the field. And uh, I remember discussing with a lady uh, last year who told me her name is, was Gaoxia, and she told me uh, yeah, I mean these uh, rare earths end up being uh, uh, included and featured into beautiful green electronics that will make people in the West so happy, but the ones who actually support and bear the pollutions, this is me and this is my husband who does their job and who are living in this polluted area. And this situation that I'm explaining to you, I've seen it in other places in China, notably in in, in, um, in, in the province of province of Ljongjiang in the north of China, uh-huh. close to Russia, where you extract the graphite. And I can I can go with more stories with graphite too.
0: Yeah. So um, these uh, in China specifically, it tends to be kind of in the interior of the country, correct? Where this is happening? Um, oh yes,
1: this is uh, in the in the rural areas. Uh, far from the central power, mm-hmm. uh, far from the media attention, mm-hmm. where few people go and where the industry has hands free to do whatever it wants, whatever is the regulations and whatever is uh, the, you know, the regulations. So we are in, we are in gray zones, very much
0: gray areas. So let me ask you a technical question because this is... Yeah this is a science uh, show anyways um but why is so much water necessary to to remove these rare earth metals from from the surrounding rock
1: that is a very interesting question yeah. and to be honest eric that's the first time i'm being asked this question <laughs> and i don't know in the book which i don't have in front of me i quote a figure in terms of square meters of water being necessary for producing one ton of rare earths i don't have this figure i can check Uh, but in terms of how much why so much water uh, let me answer this way Uh, a rare earth uh, is um, you find very limited amounts of rare earths in a mine Uh, in in an iron mine when you're going to to extract one ton of iron you will find a rare earth, with them is neodymium, mixed naturally mixed in the earth crust with iron. So, if you want to separate the iron with the rare earth uh, you will have to uh, go through a very very uh, um, energy demanding and water demanding process. Why? Because there is more than 1,000 less neodymium in this earth crust in this mine than there is of iron. So, if you extract one ton of of uh, iron, you will find at the end one kg of neodymium. If you extract one kg of iron, you will find one gram of neodymium. Mm. So what you see is that if you want to extract one gram of neodymium out of one kg of iron, is going to you're going to need a lot of electricity, you're going to need a lot of water to repeat a process of separating them for dozens of times and even some experts say hundreds of times yeah. you repeat the same process and you end up with something which is pure yeah. 99.9999% pure. Yeah. But this is going to take time, energy and a lot of water associated with
0: that. Maybe, uh, I'll, I'll speculate cause I'm a chemistry, uh, I was, you know, a chemistry major in college, but my, my, my mm-hmm. guess might be in terms of the water use is that, um, they might have to put it into some kind of solution and then and yes, then catalyze out the 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 metal or precipitate out the metal that they're trying to get from the other metal um, that that if i was if i was approaching that as a chemist that's probably how i would do it um, you may be right yeah. i haven't checked uh, okay. but all yes right.
1: you, but the water is mixed at the end with all these chemicals that are associated in the
0: refining process yeah okay and then so tying it back to the economic piece of mm-hmm. this, if, if we were going to do that in the West, uh, because we have tighter environmental regulation, I imagine that water would have to be treated in some way before it was just released into the environment, which then probably increases the cost of harvesting these metals. Right. Is that is that kind of connect the dots there? It's exactly right. Okay. Uh,
1: actually, the United States used to be one of the first producers of rare earths in the world. Not that such a long time ago, a couple of decades ago.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, in California, there was a mine. The uh, mine was named was, uh, Mountain Pass. And this mine was the uh, biggest rare earth mine in the world. But producing the rare earths was extremely polluting and uh, and water demanding and the environmental regulations at the time in california were getting so tight that the company Molycorp had to invest more and more in its uh, refining uh, uh, manufacturing process and that would make the cost so high comparing to the chinese producing for nothing at the <laughs> other end of the world that actually the americans uh, producers of these rare earths at some point said let's stop it we just cannot compete and there were also uh, you know uh, complaints uh, with surrounding communities yeah. and impacts on um, ecological habitats so it would make sense from a social ecological and from an economic viewpoint to keep the rare earth production in the united states and the same happened in many other countries western countries in the world with other rare resource we just uh, washed our hands and we said hmm, the chinese want to make the same work for half the price they need to get richer because they need to capture uh, catch up their delays and uh, their economic uh, delay to the West, let's yeah. just let's make them do the shitty job. Sorry mm-hmm. to, to speak that way. <laughs> and um, and we in the West don't want to have this, we don't really want to have these minds back for making the world greener.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's tough. Um. That is tough. And you know what I think? I think we would be courageous.
1: We in the West to look at this reality of the dark side of green technologies and say if we want to make these green technologies less polluting than what they are well the solution is to relocate the mining process in our countries Mm. because if these processes happen in europe or in the united states with a better control from the administration a better control from ngos a better control from the media you don't you, 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 I mean, at an industrial you cannot do anything you want you're going to have to respect the rules the environmental regulations and at the end your metal will be more clean and the green technology will be cleaner yeah. so that will make sense from an ecological viewpoint to say let's relocate the mines in the west yeah. but you know, honestly no one wants that we all want clean technology revolution we all want to have this greener world coming but we don't want to bear the consequences and I think there is a bit of hypocrisy here Yeah, sorry to say that way
0: and 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 consumers don't want to bear the cost, right? I mean, we we don't as consumers, we don't want a cell phone that costs much more uh, because those were, you know, sustainably harvested metals. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's true
1: and, and let me nuance that also Eric because yeah. um, obviously these metals uh, if we had to produce it by our, on our own it would cost much more uh, but in a phone, in a mobile phone an iPhone, which is like worse $500 $600 dollars. most of the price of the phone is intellectual property mm-hmm. it is uh, the fact of uh, you know uh, 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 sorry um, uh, uh, bringing it to one place to one another in the world it is uh, the, obviously the, the price that the commercial uh, expert needs to be paid for 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 selling the phone uh, the price of the commodities in a phone is not that uh, important it's gonna be a couple of dollars in a six hundred dollar phone, oh, okay. That's, that is yeah, that is very strange and counterintuitive to say so. Most of the price is made by intellectual property, I guess. Uh, but still, because we don't want to 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 have these metals produced in our countries and to bear the cost of having them, the environmental costs, we prefer to have them uh, outsourced to the mine to to have the mines outsourced somewhere. And at the very end of the of the of the story, I think that is more true with. Uh, electric cars wind turbines the the, the the price of the materials which will make the price of the car different uh, m- way different comparing to a mobile phone
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we wouldn't be able or we wouldn't want we as consumers to buy an electric car with us made minerals uh, comparing to a car made with with Chinese Chinese made minerals the price will be different for a car much more than for a phone
0: Uh huh. just because you need so much more of those minerals to say uh for the batteries and such and there is less intellectual property price in the car comparing to to um, ah okay to a to to a phone yeah so so the margins to use is very tight for the car industry for the car but for the phone it's like a huge margin which is which is exactly yes yeah okay that makes sense wow that's that's yeah that's interesting well um yeah i guess we need to put pressure on apple and such to um there is pressure on Apple actually there is pressure on Apple Apple knows
1: about it they have lots of the NGOs uh, uh, you know uh, you know uh, claiming that Apple is responsible for environmental disasters for uh, because they sell so many phones Uh, so these companies today uh, are required to outsource in a more responsible way their minerals they must make sure that uh, there is no child labor in the cobalt mines in the republic democratic republic of congo uh, and that this cobalt wouldn't end up in the battery of the of the iphones so the 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 the, 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 the you know you we may be optimistic in a sense because uh, regulations and public pressure are already here yeah. and yeah. that forces these companies to change the way they they make business yeah. that's going to take time and once again this uh, mining business is outsourced it's uh dirty but it's also especially murky it's not transparent you don't know who's the producer of the producer of the producer of the producer of the (laughs) the final product so that's very hard to actually trace back uh you know all around the world the very first uh, person who has extracted the mineral and so this uh, non or non-sufficiently transparent business makes it hard for ngos media to actually make sure that the company, companies such as Apple and other companies, have actually, in reality, the green practices yeah. they claim to have.
0: Yeah, and as as we first started talking out, uh, I think that's a, that's a problem that afflicts a, a lot of these globalized commodities. Is we just don't know where they originated from and how they ended up in the products that we. That we have, exactly. um, so so maybe that's a good place to end. Uh, we've been going for a while, but um, this has been such a interesting conversation. I think a lot of people will, will oh, me benefit from it. Um, and if you want to learn more, you can read uh, Guillaume's book. Uh, I'll try to get it right. It's Rare Metals War. Yeah, the Rare okay. Metals War. The Rare Metals War. Scribe. Um, on Scribe. On Scribe um and then is there are there other places that people can find you online or is there a place that you'd prefer for them to to track you down
1: sure uh, i have a website uh, my website is uh, guillaume and uh, you can find information on this website and also on my twitter account and linkedin account where i regularly post uh, uh, updates on the industry and also uh, recent interviews such as yours. Um, so yes, I'm easily accessible and uh, you can find my email on my website and if you want to write to me anything, uh, my email is public so feel free to send me a note and uh, I'll be happy to answer. Oh, that would be great. I'm sure I'm sure people would like to do that. Um, and I hope I'll be able to come to the United States anytime soon to, or for talking about the book.
0: It's not possible <laughs> yet but I'd
1: love to, to be able to come and to Maybe do a TEDx or something like this, but actually to to um, to be to be more proactive on the U.S. side. I love the United States.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that day comes soon for sure. Um, hopefully. <laughs> all right, Guillaume. Well, thanks so much um, again. Thanks, great Eric. speaking with you, and uh, and we'll 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 just end here. Well, that's it for this show. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Email me at feedback at sciencecentric also, don't forget, you can support future episodes by becoming a member on Patreon. Head over to sciencecentric.com support for more info. The Science Centric podcast is a FlowSpark Media production. Our audio engineer for this episode was Alexander James. Guest booking was handled by Melissa David. Our intro outro music comes courtesy of BitBasic. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm Eric Olson.